All right, if you would please open in the Bible to Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. You'll find it in the Pew Bible, on page, beginning on page 808. You will also find it in the bulletin, the program, on page 8, the um, ESV, the message, and even the Greek New Testament, if you care to follow along. If you would please stand. This is Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd please send your Spirit upon us, the same Spirit, Father, that descended upon your son at his baptism uh, to make manifest who he was and what he has come to do, that you are pleased in him. Gracious God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and we pray, Father, that your spirit would make him powerfully present with us today as we think further about what he has come into the world to do. For his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, um, this has been a great Sunday. It's good to be back. I, I missed last Sunday, some of you will know. I had COVID. I am not uh, coming here today with COVID. I did, in case anyone is concerned, bring a mask, uh, but I am well. In fact, apart from a slight hoarseness, which you can probably hear, I'm 100%. Leslie as well, and we're glad to be back at church. It was awful to be away last Sunday, but it helped a lot that we could watch on uh on the Facebook Live, and we were able to follow the service, and it was a great joy to see Mark Toombs, a dear friend of mine, uh, here preaching on this same chapter that we're looking at today, the ministry of John the Baptist, and today we're going to conclude this chapter by looking at really the climax of the ministry of the Baptist, what he actually came into the world to do, and the unique role he had to play in the life of God's people. And uh, it has to do with, as it says here, the baptism of Jesus. The ESV editors have helpfully labeled this section for us. We're about to read about uh, the, and study and look at and reflect on the baptism of Jesus. Um, baptism is a, is a wonderful thing. We had a baptism a few Sundays ago. That was a great delight. Uh, we're going to have a baptism uh, coming up pretty soon. You don't know about this yet. But uh, while we were having adult Sunday school today, our two of our elders met with our two newest members-to-be, uh, Mike uh, and Alana uh, Marion, who are here with us today. Uh, they are uh, accepted for membership. Wave your, wave your arm. This is Mike. This is Alana Marion. Wonderful couple. <laughs> Wonderful couple. I've enjoyed getting to know them. I know you all will get to know them. They have not been baptized. 
Uh, they are going to be baptized, God willing, next month. So uh, it's really wonderful that on the Sunday we're looking at the baptism of Jesus, we can look forward with excitement towards the baptism of two people that are members of our church. Uh, you know, I love baptizing babies. I love, love, love baptizing babies. But there's something special also about adults who present themselves to the Lord to be baptized. And so it's a joy to welcome uh, this couple as they uh, present themselves to the Lord in response to the gospel. We'll have a lot more to say that about that in the coming weeks. Uh, baptism is very, very important to us, in large part because it was so important in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we'll have a chance to think about that in January, God willing, when Alana and Mike come forward with their family in attendance, I hope, uh, for their baptism. Well, let's think a little bit about the baptism of Jesus. That's my first point, the baptism of Jesus. Taking the words from the ESV editors, let's think about the baptism of Jesus. And three things that we can take away from this important section in the life and ministry of John the Baptist. What does the baptism of Jesus teach us? Well, there are three things I'd like for us to look at. The first one is that in the baptism that we read about here at the end of chapter 3, Jesus is identifying with Israel. Uh, Matthew's gospel is very interesting. Uh, most scholars think it was not the first gospel. There's some discussion around all that. But uh, Matthew's gospel is certainly significant for a number of reasons, including the fact that it, it seems to have a special emphasis on the gospel among the Jewish people. In fact, for a long time, for many centuries, Matthew was thought to be the oldest gospel because of this Jewish focus. Matthew has a particular interest in explaining the gospel in a way that would make sense to Jewish people. So he goes into more detail than the, than the other gospel writers about some of the Jewish aspects of the Lord's life and ministry. He quotes a lot from the Old Testament. He uses some language that is borrowed from the Old Testament. And so Matthew has a particular concern that we understand the connection between Jesus and Israel. And in fact, I want to tell you that's one of the great things Matthew is teaching us. That by coming into the world the way he did, Jesus is identifying with the covenant people of God of the Old Testament, the people we call Israel. Uh, there are a number of clues about this. One clue is the whole opening chapter. Uh, if you're here on Christmas Eve, brace yourself. We're going to read Matthew chapter 1, God willing. We're going to look at what Matthew chapter 1 actually has to teach us about Jesus' connection to the long genealogy of the people whom we call Israel, going all the way back to Abraham. It's interesting. Uh, John and uh, Luke have their genealogies, or Luke is a particular interest in a genealogy. John doesn't have a genealogy per se. He goes back beyond creation, all the way back to the very beginning before there was a beginning. That's John's focus. Luke has an interest in going all the way back to Adam. But Matthew focuses very specifically on Jesus' genealogy beginning with Abraham. Why? Because Abraham was the father of the people of Israel. He was the, the father of the covenant people Israel. And so we'll read about that on Christmas Eve night and why it's significant. Well, 
That's part of what Matthew is teaching us. Matthew also focuses on a number of details of Jesus' birth that Luke, nor Mark, nor John tell us about. He tells us some things that happened, and the things that he tells us about Jesus' birth particularly manifest Jesus' identification with the people of Israel. Matthew, for instance, is unique in talking about the flight from Jerusalem or from Bethlehem, uh, from uh, Israel, to Egypt. Uh, Mark doesn't mention it. Luke doesn't mention it. John doesn't mention it. But that Matthew tells us that Jesus' family, after Herod has the uh, uh, response of wanting to kill the baby, the king of Israel that had been born, that the wise men tell him about, uh, unfortunately, Herod's response was to want to kill the baby. And so because of that, uh, Jesus' family fled Israel and went to Egypt. And according to the chronology we get here in uh, Matthew's gospel, Jesus's, some of Jesus' formative years were spent in Israel, sorry, in, in Egypt. And that's very significant in terms of identifying with Israel. And we'll see more about that as well when we look at those passages. And then finally, here in chapter 3, we find another dimension of Jesus' identification with Israel. Now, you might be scratching your head thinking, what does John's baptism of Jesus have to do with Jesus identifying with Israel? Well, I read a very interesting article this week. A friend of mine, Scott Kimbrough, a member of our church, sent me an interesting article that makes this case. I'd read about it in other places, but this case, this particular article makes the case powerfully, I think, that one of the purposes of John's baptism was in a way to spiritually enact the return of the people of Israel from captivity in Babylon back into the promised land. Sort of the, the refulfillment of God's promise that he had made to Abraham when he had promised Abraham that this land would be their land, that this would be their place to live, these blessings would be their blessings. Well, that had not been true for hundreds of years. Since the Assyrian captivity and then the Babylonian captivity, the people of Israel, the northern and the southern kingdom alike, were both in bondage. They were both in captivity. They were in exile. And that had been true all the way up to the point that Jesus was born. There were actually still Jewish people in diaspora who were not part of the returned community. And what's more, they had departed from the Lord in an exile of their hearts. They had rejected the Lord. They had, they had abandoned themselves to the sin of the world. And they, they did not look to the, the God of the covenant in the way that they should have. And so part of what John's baptism was, was a call to God's people to return from that exile of the heart, that exile of alienation from God. And so John's baptism at the river Jordan, like when Joshua crossed over from east to west, entering the promised land back in Joshua chapter 3 and 4, uh, this is a reenactment of that, a spiritual reenactment of God's covenant people returning in fulfillment of those covenant promises. And so when Jesus himself goes and is baptized by John in the River Jordan, that is, that is a, a fulfillment in Christ 
of God's promise to Israel. Jesus representing Israel, identifying with Israel, comes back into the land that God had promised, into this relationship that God had promised, away from this exile of the heart and a restoration of the relationship that God had intended for his people Israel. And so Matthew alone records this fact in the detail that he does. Matthew focuses on it and ties it in to the other Old Testament references and all the other things that Matthew has to teach us about Jesus and his connection to the people Israel. All that is here represented when Christ is baptized. Jesus identifying with Israel. And that is extremely important. Uh, As Jesus identified with Israel's, they're they're returning to the Lord. Their repentance, which is the word John uses over and over again to describe it from uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 onwards. That's the way it's described, repentance, uh, returning to the Lord. Well, you know what? Jesus didn't need to repent. Jesus never sinned. Jesus didn't need to return to the Lord because he never left the Lord. So when Jesus repents, when he he shows himself in this action, entering into this community repentance, when he is shown returning to the Lord in fulfillment of, of what the people of Israel had always been intended to do, what was Christ doing? He was actually identifying with them. He was stooping down to take on himself their burden. So the baptism of Jesus shows us him identifying with Israel. Though he never sinned, though he never departed from the Lord, yet in identification with them, he shows himself in his baptism. And we read about that as, as John uh, describes it, uh, as Matthew describes what John does in verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, the very symbolic place where Israel had crossed over into that promised land. Secondly, we see here that Jesus in his baptism, well, he, let's use his words, he fulfills all righteousness. Uh, As you can imagine, when John saw Jesus in line to be receiving baptism, uh, you can see in verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. And do you come to me? I said, that's a valid question. Jesus is coming to John the Baptist to be baptized into this repentance. And it, it Well, it didn't make sense. This does not compute. John might have been saying in our day. But Jesus answered him, verse 15, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Not only did Jesus never sin in the sense that he never did anything he wasn't supposed to do. Jesus always did exactly what he was supposed to do. His righteousness was in both directions. Uh, He never did anything that he wasn't supposed to do his whole life. And he never failed to do exactly what he was supposed to do his whole life. And so as he comes forward and John sees him there and has this response, Jesus says, 
It's all right, John. Let it be so for now. It's fitting that I do this. It's appropriate. It's necessary. There's a rightness. And he calls it fulfilling all righteousness. That's a very rich word in the among the people of Israel. Righteousness. It, it's a relationship word. It has to do not only with, with not sinning. It, it has to do with a right relationship. And Jesus here, he says himself, fulfills all righteousness. You know, um, the... Old Testament covenant, the old covenant had a great deal to say about the acts of sin and the things we should do and should not do. And there's a, there's a whole lot about that. But there's also a lot about the, the spiritual response necessary, a, a kind of righteousness which comes through faith. And, and that, is, that is at the heart, not only of the New Testament, but of the Old Testament. And so Jesus is telling John that his baptism is the fulfillment of all of that. It is the necessary next step in the fulfillment of all of that. And all of Jesus' life from from here in Matthew 3 through the end of Matthew's gospel, over and over again, what we see in Jesus' life and the way he lived, the things he said, the things he did, was his seeking to fulfill all righteousness. He did exactly what he was supposed to do, including keeping the Jewish laws as as it was meant to be kept. Not the distortions of the scribes and Pharisees, but the way it was meant to be kept, Jesus kept it. And that was important. It was important not only that Jesus morally was pure, it was also essential that Jesus was spiritually pure, that he was spiritually an appropriate sacrifice. The sacrifice that Jesus was going to make at the end of this gospel required a perfect sacrifice. It couldn't be a blemished sacrifice. It couldn't be an imperfect sacrifice. It had to be a perfect sacrifice. And so by coming forward in identification with Israel, Jesus was fulfilling that requirement. It was one of the things he had to do in order to become the sacrifice that he was born to be. So Jesus, in his baptism, fulfills all righteousness. And then finally, and this is something all the Gospels comment on, all the Gospels comment on what happens next. John consents to the baptism when Jesus talks to him about fulfilling all righteousness. John consented. Verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased at his baptism Jesus gives us his family portrait every Christmas our family tries to do a family portrait Uh, if you look at the Laird's Christmas card they do a beautiful family portrait every year and it's a beautiful picture of mom and dad and kids it's a lovely picture maybe your family does a family portrait well at Jesus's baptism we get this glorious family portrait 
of Jesus' family. Not Mary and Joseph. They have their role to play. But the family portrait that we see here in Matthew chapter 3 is Jesus' eternal family. And it's, it, it's a, a picture that defies our ability to, to visualize, really. It's, it's more than merely images. It's, it's sounds. It's, it's an understanding. Uh, and and the, the heavens were opened so that Jesus could see this and so that it could be recorded here in Matthew's Gospel so that 2,000 years later, sinners like you and me can read about it. Jesus' family portrait. The Spirit of God descending like a dove, the symbol of peace. The Holy Spirit descending on Jesus, resting on Him. Not actually changing what Jesus' relationship with the Spirit had always been, but actually demonstrating it, displaying it, so that we can see it, so that we can read about it. The Spirit fell upon Jesus and actually rested on Him. It's a powerful picture. And then behold, a voice from heaven. There's no image here. It's a voice. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now that's essentially what the angel says earlier in the Matthew in Matthew's account. This isn't the first time Jesus has been told that he's God's son. We read about that in all the gospels. So it's not for Jesus's sake in a sense, it's for our sake. It's so that we would know about Jesus's family, so that we would know his extraordinary unique relationship with God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, the triune God. Here is a little picture of their family. And it's right at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. The family portrait of Jesus. So all of this is wrapped up in John's baptism of Jesus. Jesus' identification with Israel. Jesus' Uh, fulfilling all righteousness, fulfilling all the requirements of the law, repentance, even though he never sinned. He fulfilled all righteousness. And finally, this glorious picture of Jesus' family before all things. Here was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we get to see it with him. It's one of these great, glorious glimpses into what the Gospel of Matthew and all the Gospels and all the New Testament tell us about. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those promises in the Old Testament. Everything that Isaiah had to say about the coming one. Everything that the prophets had to say about the Messiah. Everything that Abraham longed for and hoped for and trusted in. All of that we see fulfilled in Christ. And we'll see that happen again and again and again from the temptation of Jesus in chapter 4 through the crucifixion of Jesus at the end of Matthew's gospel. So it's a beautiful picture and Jesus' baptism tells us all of that. Now I guess the other question is what difference does that make to us? Is it simply theology and something that uh, theologians can discuss and and it doesn't really matter to the rest of us. I think probably that's a lot of that's the way a lot of us think of Christmas. In some ways, it's a time to give and give uh, and exchange presents. It's a time to be sentimental about family things. All those are 
wonderful so far as they go. And I think that's probably what a lot of people take away from Christmas. Not a lot more than that, because it doesn't really in some ways seem to matter to us unless we really pay attention. Because actually, what happens at Jesus' baptism matters very, very much to you and me. Beginning with Jesus identifying with Israel. See, not only did Jesus identify with Israel, he identified with all of his covenant people before him, during his life, and in his resurrection life. Jesus, by identifying with Israel, was actually identifying with the likes of you and me. See, he didn't need to be baptized for his sins. He was baptized as a manifestation of his identifying with our sins. It was was part of his taking on himself the burden of our sins. It It was part of his doing what he came to do. The the unique role he has to play. He brought all that upon himself. And so at Jesus' baptism, Jesus identifies with you and Jesus identifies with me. And it matters for all eternity. He identifies with all of his people over all the ages. We praise him for it. And when Jesus is baptized and he fulfills all righteousness, what he's actually doing is preparing the righteousness that he gives us. Because not only does Jesus identify with us in our broken sinfulness, he doesn't just take our sins, he does do that, but more even than that is he gives us his righteousness. He takes our sins and gives us his righteousness. And here at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, we're introduced to that idea. We're going to read more and more about it over the Christmas season. We'll see how Jesus was doing exactly that and how he did that his entire life. And you know what? He's still doing that. We just sang about it. Jesus in heaven at this very moment, the resurrected, ascended Christ, interceding in our behalf, pleading for us, taking upon himself our sins that he took to the cross and and giving us his righteousness as he intercedes to his Father in the Spirit. Jesus gives us his righteousness. That's one of the reasons Jesus' baptism matters so much. It's part of his giving that righteousness to the likes of you and me. And then finally, and this is breathtaking, In Jesus' baptism, we get a little glimpse of Jesus welcoming you and me into his family. Uh, Matthew's gospel opens with the baptism of Jesus and we get this glorious family portrait. If you look at the end of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew at the very end of the gospel, all the way over in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus talks about what? Baptism. And he actually says to the disciples and through them to you and me that we're to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Baptizing them how? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew has these bookends. It opens with a family portrait and it closes with a family portrait. And the wonderful thing about the family portrait at the end is we're in it. 
We're in it. We're part of Jesus' family. His baptism is part of how we are welcomed into his family. Uh, some of you know that uh, Neiman and Deborah Miller uh, just adopted a beautiful little girl, uh, Kaylee. And she is a doll. She has some hearing issues, so it, she brings a couple of challenges with her like every child does. She is absolutely gorgeous. And Neiman and Rebecca with their eyes wide open, said, we want Kaylee in our family. And now this Christmas, there's no doubt where Kaylee will be. There's no doubt what she'll be doing. She'll be with a family that loves her, that has welcomed her into their own family, their, their life. And that's what Jesus makes possible for the likes of you and me. In Christ, you and I, like Kaylee, we've been adopted into Jesus' family. And it's not a tentative thing. It's not something that's probationary. Jesus has brought us into his relationship, Father, Son, Spirit. And now we, thanks to Christmas, Thanks to Jesus' baptism, thanks to Jesus' perfect obedience, thanks to Jesus' death on the cross, thanks to everything Jesus has done for us, you and I get to celebrate Christmas as part of the family. We can praise God for it. We can worship Him for it. In fact, is there any other response than praise and worship and thanksgiving in light of all that Jesus has done for us? I don't think there is. I don't think there is. That's, that's the response that's called for, looking at all that God has done for us in his son. So John the Baptist came to prepare the way for that proclamation. And Jesus is shown here as he will be shown through the rest of this gospel, bringing this message of repentance and life and joy and restored, reconciled relationship in the righteousness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, when you gather on Christmas morning here at church, I hope, I hope that you'll enjoy the presents, you'll enjoy the kids, you'll enjoy all the fun things you get to do on Christmas morning. But more than anything else, I hope that you and I will celebrate all that Jesus Christ has done for us. And that that will shape our thanksgiving. That will shape our praise. That will shape our New Year's resolutions. That will shape everything about us. Responding to what Christ has done. That's why it matters to you and me.